Welcome to the Seahawks Draft Vlog live stream. Rob Staten, Robbie Williams, Adam Nathan with you here to talk through some big Seahawks talking points. We are a week away from the start of the Scouting Combine and very much looking forward to that. It's going to be a big event for the Seahawks and finding out a lot more information about these players. Always a big time of the year, but there's also lots going on in the Seahawks world. Uh, we're going to get through some big topics, but first of all, seeing as Adam is here, Adam is the... Uh, <laughs> the new Adam Schefter, yeah. the Seahawks uh, fan. So what? So come on, Adam. What's happening next? Is it is it a fourteen million a year deal for Cody Barton? Uh, as I said to someone on the, on the Seahawk beat that said you're stealing our job, I said I think I've broken my first and last bit of Seahawk news until Nick Bellore signs another two year contract in two years time. Hopefully, um, I'll, I'll try and keep the scoops coming, but I think I'm probably uh, a bit of a one contact wonder. I'm afraid on the on this occasion. Well, uh, Seahawks insider Adam Nathan is with us today and uh, Robbie as well. Um, so there is some some breaking news in the last hour, which we can start off talking about, is that Bobby Wagner has been cut by uh, the Rams. We're already seeing the Seahawks media going absolutely crazy to try and get him petitioned to have him re-signed by the Seahawks. My thought on that is no, 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 no. No. Um, Robbie, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. Listen, I love Bobby Wagner, but I mean, it'd be better than, uh, you know, than what we had this year because our linebackers were pretty, pretty garbage. But I mean, honestly, I think it's time to move on. And I think they're, that, 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 that ship has sailed. And, and uh, I don't think Bobby wants to come back. I mean, the way he's talked about the Seahawks, like, and the disrespect he feels from us, I don't think he's coming back to us anyway. So we can just put that to bed now. Adam? Rob, if you can't win, then at least do numbers, all right, on your contacts, on your page. Get the content numbers up. And as I said to you on private message, I want you to live record yourself when Bobby Wagner re-signs with the Seahawks because you'll do a million hits, like, in half an hour. And if the Seahawks can't win at least drive some traffic to the page as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, if you're not going to win, win with style that, that will draw people to see to see our reactions because, uh, hey, you know, it's, it's, you, someone's got to win and it might as well be us if it can't be the team. The problem is, though, Adam, is if you use certain swear words, you get demonetized. So I'm not sure that we'd make anything out of it. Listen, I to be really respectful to Bobby Wagner, it's not a case of disliking Bobby Wagner or having any negative thoughts on a great, career in Seattle but it was time to move on last year it was time to move on um a reminder that and we had this conversation a lot a year ago when we were talking about the future of Bobby Wagner but I had a former NFL linebacker actually break down the film for me it was quite a privilege to sort of see him do that and explain just how poorly Wagner was playing in 2021 and he was right when I actually went back and looked at you could get the old game passes changing in this country and the zones taking over. So I'm not sure whether we're going to get the old 22 after this, this year, but you could go and watch the old 22. And he said, go and watch this game, this game, this game. When I watched it and he was absolutely right that Bobby Wagner was just, it looked as if he was avoiding contact. He was, his, his, he was not attacking screens. All you have to do is go and watch Levante David at Tampa Bay and see how he still plays, even at his age. I think he's 32 now, compared to how Bobby Wagner was playing. And there is a marked difference between the two. Now, I thought in the games when I only watched Wagner play against Seattle, I thought he 
brought his A game in those two games and looked like he was really up for it and really intense. That's not a surprise against his old team. And by all accounts, PFF gave him a fantastic grade to um, for his play for the Rams last year. I suspect he may have been trying to prove a point, having been released by the Seahawks, and it was all going a bit wrong and he kind of upped his game there. I'm not sure bringing him back to Seattle is you're going to end up with elite, top-level Bobby Wagner. And for the set, for the Rams to sort of just move on after one year and say, despite all of the PFF grades and, and all of that, we don't want to keep you here. We need to save some money and you're going to be the way that we save money. Doesn't that just speak volumes, Robbie, to where he's at? And, and Bobby Wagner should stay as a player who gives us great memories and a great time in Seattle, but you can't keep looking back to the past. Sometimes I wonder with you know certain areas of the Seattle media and the fan base, they'd rather have nice feels than actually have a winning football team. You know, they, they want to feel good and warm inside about Bobby Wagner coming back when really what we should be doing is what's going to make Seattle a contender over the next two or three years and a short-term return for Bobby Wagner is not going to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we need some we need some youth at the linebacker position and, and some guys who are going to, you know, have that angry edge and, and really want to attack the ball carrier and get after it. I, I just feel like he's... Again, like like you were saying, no disrespect to Bob. I've pissed Bobby Wagner off once in my life. I don't want to do it again. So if he ever watches this, no disrespect to Bobby Wagner. But I, I like honestly, I'm. I think it's just time to move on. And I, I get why people want these players to stick around. I think Seattle has this kind of fascination with keeping their players and their own players, and and they're, they're more about the player, which is I think it's a, a, a you know it's, it can be great, but you're forgetting about the team aspect, and and I don't think he'll bring anything that will really benefit the team moving forward to to win a Super Bowl. We need to inject some youth in the position and and both the D line and the linebacker position. I want the angriest, fastest, most physical linebacker you can find this off season. And if you can get that guy in the fifth round, so be it. I do not think spending big money on an aging player who the last time he was here was was not attacking his gaps, was not playing with intensity and venom and really getting after it, who looked as if at times he was going, mm, do I need to make this tackle? I, I just want somebody young, fresh, pissed off, Who's going to come here and prove a point. Adam, have you got anything else to say about this Wagner situation? Yeah, I think it makes it a tough sell to those, probably those of us that have been kind of naysayers on the program and like what they're trying to achieve. I think we said quite a few times in the season that whilst we may not necessarily, it may not be the path that we'd like the team to follow, at least they're showing a fairly clear plan and the way in which they'd like to win. Um, they are looking to get younger they're hoping to get faster. And I think whilst I don't necessarily like the regime or whatever, if they follow a path that has clear lineage towards growth and towards a potential that you can say, well, look, if they keep doing that, they might end up being like an Eagles team, like you wrote about in the offseason, Rob. If they do this, I think that kind of reels all of that potential optimism that we may have for what they're doing, even if we need a bit of convincing Doing that would just kind of shatter that and it, it it returns you to that sort of muddiness, which was the thinking kind of between 2016 and 2021, 22, I suppose, where it's what's really going on here. It's all a little bit trying to have your cake and eat it too. And I think this deal would be probably the ultimate version of doing that, especially with the money that it would no doubt cost 
to make it happen. Yeah, and he's been released each of the last two off seasons. That's just a fact at this point. You know, the Seahawks didn't want to pay him. Was it? I think twenty million dollars to play last season. He then sat on the open market for a long time. You know, longer than many people expected. He signed a deal which was, you know, portrayed as this massive, like sixty million dollar contract. But then when people looked into it, it was clearly one year for $10 million and then a, an out for the Rams if they wanted it, which they've now taken that out. He's He's been released. And it's just, he is a player, whatever PFF says about his grading, he is a player that has been released back to back years. And I'm not convinced that bringing him back and feeling like you are you are there, you know, you've, you're trying to recreate, I don't know, 2019 or something. That to me is not what you want to do. You want to get young and fast and angry and aggressive and that's i'm afraid right now that isn't bobby wagner uh get your super chats in we've had um a couple already this one from taker 610 are levis and anthony richardson gonna leapfrog stroud and young i mean personally i'd probably take both of them ahead of bryce young just because i'm not i'm for the seahawks i am not that interested in another small quarterback personally i appreciate young's talent and his skill, and I enjoy watching him. And if the Seahawks draft him, I will have no issue with that. But if you're talking about which of the four would I least want to take a chance on, I think it is the smaller quarterback. And I think all four are really good. So I've got no issue with that. So are they going to leapfrog them? Probably not, given the, the the momentum that is going right now. But I still wouldn't rule out Levis, number one. And I wouldn't even rule out Anthony Richardson, number one. It just depends what happens. Don't forget the media thought Kyler Murray was the 25th overall pick. Uh, and he was, and, and they insisted he wasn't going to go first overall, and he did. And it became more and more evident as time went on. People didn't think Patrick Mahomes was going to be a first round pick. He was the 10th overall pick. So just some things to remember there with that. And then the other super chat we've got, we've actually got a couple more. This one from Corey. What do you think, Cam Jones? What about you think of Cam Jones from Indiana? Seems like a good leader and a player to get in the third or fourth round. I am not familiar with Cam Jones. So apologies there. There's a lot of cams in the draft, but that is not one that I've watched. I was wondering whether you'd maybe... I've not watched him, so I can't give you... If anybody else has watched him, then feel free to chime in. In your opinion, this one from K Soon Soon, in your opinion, where can Muse fit in? I presume he's meaning Tanner Muse, not the band. So um, I don't... I. <laughs> I'll, very quickly, guys, where does Tanner Muse fit in? I'm not. I'm not sure he does. Um, camp player to come and have a go. I don't think Tanner Muse has shown enough to, to think he could start, though, Bobby. Yeah, he seems like a practice squad guy. I mean, to be honest, I don't think he's got. I mean, there was some. I, I think there was a little buzz around him, like during the off season, you know, in training camp. But it's so hard to get a read on training camp. You always hear you know, training camp guys coming out and they're like, oh, there's all this hype and then they end up not even making the team. So for me, it's it's tough. I mean, I'd rather, I really want to just revamp our linebacker and our, our D-line position and just kind of go from there. We've had this one as well from DJ Jerry Nice. Do we have a viable linebacker that will start game one? The answer to that, Adam, is probably no, isn't it? Um. I mean, Cody Barton's healthy, right? And I, I think he, I'm sure, you know, Robbie's eyes will be rolling around the back of his head like a you know, car going 70 miles an hour down do the you freeway. Think he's gonna be, do you think he's going to be re-signed? 
Yeah, I think he will, because I think he is the epitome of like one of their guys that they like to bring back. He is like the Will Disley of the defense for me. Like that guy that they they picked up, they really put a lot of effort into. I, I'm not speaking, and by the way, you know, my, my NFL insider doesn't stretch necessarily as far as this to have any uh, actual information on it. Everything you say now, I'm going to... It's gospel. It's gospel. It's I know, gospel. yeah. It's, look, it's hard. Life at the top's hard, Rob. And uh, I, I'm, I'm having to deal with that. Um, I, I don't... Yeah, I, th- I think he's he's a kind of guy that they will really like. And, you know, like he's the guy that Pete would just be chewing that gum like it's going out of fashion, out of excitement if they got Cody back. And actually, I think he was better in the last six weeks of the season. And if he continued on that trajectory... That's because he wasn't playing. <laughs> they were... Go- they were Yeah, he was like... They were running the dime defense the whole most of the time. He played like 30% of the snaps. Yeah, perhaps... I, I think if you asked Pete Carroll, would you be okay starting Barton as a linebacker week one? He'd say, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so to that extent, I would say that would be the viable one that I think they'll have in their view. See, the thing is, is um, it, you know, it's easy to forget. And I'm not trying to suggest that, uh, you know, we get everything right because we don't. But highlighted on the blog, two players who perfectly fit what the Seahawks look for at linebacker. Perfectly fit. Fred Warner. Dre Greenlaw, who were the starting linebackers of the San Francisco 49ers. They got those guys, I think, in round four and five, I think it was. And they they didn't take them. And then they go in and they're spending the Jordan Brookses and the Cody Bartons. I just want to go into the combine next week, Robbie, find a couple of linebackers who are quick, agile, explosive, who are available later on. Just take them and throw them in there. I just I just want to see something new and and go for that. And that's fine. And if they want to bring in an, an, a, a cheap veteran who's who's maybe got a little bit more tread on the tires, fine. And do you know what? If if they even go and splash out on Edmonds from Buffalo or whatever, fine. But if you're going to do that, give us someone at a good age who's got a lot of upside, who's got a you know physical that there's not many people like him on the planet. Then go and if you're going to spend a bit of money there, I'd rather spend the money elsewhere. But if they do that, fine, whatever. But please, let's just not bring back Cody Barton and start him and then say, well, Jordan Brooks will be back in four weeks. That's enough. That's That will that will be very frustrating to me. Unfortunately, I actually think Adam is right, as much as I hate to say it. <laughs> I think he's right. I think Pete probably loves Cody Barton and and probably wants to bring him back. And I, I just think it's it's just... They're just it's, I, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about the guy. I mean, I've, I've had this dislike for the guy for a very long time and and i'm sure he's a wonderful human don't know him personally but just as a as a football player he's not the guy i want as a starting linebacker so yeah i agree let's go into the go to the combine let's let's look at some guys who we can get in the later rounds that are hungry that maybe are just a little overlooked and and you know i'm okay with going out and getting a you know someone else too as you as you had mentioned but just let's just revamp the whole damn thing it just didn't work we had a one year of the cody barton experience i'm 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 good before we move on, I have to show you this. So my wife knew that I was doing a live stream with you guys. And she said, do you, do you want a cup of tea? Because I am British. So we, we have to go. We have to have one of those every hour. Um, and I said, yes. And this is the mug that she presented the tea in. There you go. I, the reason we have that in the house is because 
Um, the second ever game that I watched involving the Seahawks involved the Broncos, and in a, an act of trolling, she decided to root for the Broncos. So she has a mug and a, and a hoodie somewhere. Um, so there we go. Um, this is from Peter. Super chat. Keep those coming in. Seattle packaging picks to move up and get their quarterback. Um, I mean, I want to spend a bit of time talking about what Seattle's going to do in the draft and the quarterback situation. So we'll probably get onto this a bit more. So, but just to sort of a little tease in to answer Peter's question. On a scale of one to 10, Robbie, what do you think is the likelihood that Seattle will move up with 10 being it's a nailed on cert and one being there's zero chance of that happening? I would give it a solid five. <laughs> so you think 50-50? I think it's a possibility. Listen, I don't, okay, a couple things. I don't think Chicago is going to get the haul that they're thinking they're going to get. Okay. I think, yeah, we have to compete with Indianapolis, but I almost, from what I'm gathering about living in Indianapolis and I listen to a lot of the writers here and such, what I'm gathering is that they might not be that intrigued to move up. They may want to just stay where they're at and think they can get their guy. So then who are you competing with? Carolina? I'm not really sure. I think it's a possibility. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't rule it out. I think there's if John likes a guy, he'll go get him. That's that's what I, I truly believe. And, and I think if we had that number four spot instead of the five, like we were thinking we were going to have, thank you, Houston. Um, there could have been. A, I think there would have been a chance that that we'd probably stay. So I think it's, it could be fifty-fifty. I'm not. I, I'm not swayed either way, but I'm not going to rule it out by any means. Because the thing is, is what you're saying is quite interesting there. If you rate the four top quarterbacks in the same kind of range, therefore one's not significantly graded higher than the other, you have the fourth pick. So you're guaranteed to get at least one of them. And the chances are that there's going to go, there's one defender is going to go off the board before the Colts pick. So you, you're almost guaranteed one of the top three. Do you just take a roll of dice there that you end up with? I mean, it's not even rolling the dice if you rate them all the same. I mean, if you are the Colts, that's the one thing. Do you really want to give Chicago a haul to move up three spots to guarantee one of these players? You will do if there's one player who you think stands out head and shoulders above the rest. But if not, they don't have the impetus necessary to move up. But the team that does is Carolina because they're at nine. They're a long way back. But then do the Bears want to drop all the way to number nine is, is, an, interesting, is an interesting one. I think the Panthers are gearing up for the most aggressive offseason they're ever going to see. I think we're seeing that with the coaching changes. So I think they probably will be very aggressive to move up to number one. Whether the Colts get into that mix or not is going to be an interesting is an interesting one because they're just close enough to get one of the top four. So we'll see. Uh, Adam, what do you think the chances are of Seattle actually moving up on a scale of one to ten? I would say right now it's a two. But I think if you ask the same question after the combine and a few pro days when there's a chance that someone separates themselves out from the pack, if they have the traits that John has been, you know, has coveted, then maybe it does become the kind of thing where he thinks I, I need to put my stamp on this team. It's, it's my time to shine. If I've got the authority to do that, then, you know, I have got four first round picks at my disposal over the next three years. So I have got the, you know, the ammo to do it. Um, Yeah, I would say right now, I would say it's highly unlikely, mainly because there doesn't appear to be the guy that's sort of stepping out into the league of his own. Um, But perhaps that changes. But look look how much more joyful we are talking about quarterbacks. You know, we're all, 
cantankerous and miserable talking about linebacker depth in February. Tanner Muse is getting heat in February. I mean, his parents must be absolutely thrilled. But now we're into the bulk of it. Now this is fun. Yeah. Um, it, on that note, though, I am going to actually park the quarterback conversation and come back to it because I'm saving that for a little bit later on. Um, so the, the first thing I want to talk about here, because I was going to talk about this first before the Bobby Wagner news uh, dropped, was... Uh, Adam's uh, big breaking news with Nick Bellore coming back, combined with the Phil Haynes uh, news. So I actually, when I heard that Phil Haynes was being re-signed, I quite liked that idea because I think a bit of consistency on the offensive line is is fair enough. And it now takes a bit of pressure off on the draft. They can draft somebody in the right kind of range for guard, which for me in this class is probably that middle round, day three range. And then they can let that guy compete with Phil Haynes, which is fair enough. Um, but then you find out he's on $4 million this year with a million in, in guarantees. And I don't know how an offensive lineman makes a million dollars in, 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 in um, incentives. That can surely only be if he plays a certain number of games. So if he's going to play most of the games, because they're now saying we're not necessarily going to go on make a big investment at guard, the chances are he will make that $5 million. That feels like a lot of money. And the thing, the problem with it, and the problem I have with the Nick Blore deal, which was reported at something like 3.75 million or something for this year. And it probably won't be a cap hit of that. There'll probably be some incentive-based things there or, or the cap hit will be lower because it's a two-year deal or something like that. So it probably is not going to be quite as expensive for Nick Blore this year. That has to be remembered. But when you combine those two things, I, the, the issue that I have with it, Rob, is I look at the two contracts and I think, which of the other 31 NFL teams are paying that contract to Phil Haynes and Nick Bellore? Why are the Seahawks spending money on players who I suspect if they'd have just let reach free agency, they could have got them for half this price or they could have got it for maybe you know, the veteran minimum in, in their cases. I don't, I don't really understand the need to sign these two players this week before they even get to the combine to establish their markets. That just seems like maybe they've squandered a couple of million or two or three million dollars here that can be quite important, you know, because you've only got 19 million dollars of effective cap space. That will go up by another six, seven million when they cut Gabe Jackson. That is that is fair, but that still only means about 25 million dollars in pure money to spend this year. And then you're taking sort of five, six, seven million off the off the bat right there. And if they do intend to re-sign Geno Smith, they're just the truth is, Robbie, is they're going to have barely anything to spend when free agency opens. And surely the whole point of the Russell Wilson trade, or at least one of the benefits of the Russell Wilson trade, was that they were going to have some cap relief this year to invest in the team and improve it. Yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It seems like they always invest in their guys and they always way overpay. And you just think, why... Why? Like, <clears throat> give them the opportunity to to hit free agency, and and you can set the market for them, and and it'll be a lot lower. And you know, I I really don't understand it. When I saw both contracts, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and again, like you said, we're going to get some of that money back by cutting Gabe Jackson, but there are more moves to be made. I feel like that it's a reach on some parts. Now, well, listen. I mean, I'm going to say this because I was really happy that Adam broke the news on this. I was really excited. But I saw the contract and it kind of took away some of my joy, I'll be honest. I was like, well, that kind of sucks. I mean, no, no offense to Nick Ballor, but like, I just, that seems like an expensive contract for, you know, a, an older special teams player. But 
And then Phil Haynes, I just, he's a guy that started, what, he started four games or something? Like, I, I don't really get it. At first, I was excited, like, okay, like, yeah, it gives an opportunity to compete with a different person that we bring in to start. But the contract just seems like that's like starter money for a right guard. I don't know, maybe there's something I'm not seeing <clears throat> with him, and they trust that he's going to be uh, be the guy. But we've been overpaying on, for our own guys for way too long. So it reminds me a little bit of the twenty. 2020 off season because I can remember in the build up and I think I remember going on Adam's podcast and maybe even another podcast and saying you know what I'm just so excited because I just know when free agency opens they're going to do something like they have to do something they were talking about the priority of fixing the pass rush and talking about it in such a way that made you made you feel comfortable as a fan that they were going to really go after this and it was assumed that if they didn't sign J. David Clowney back, that there would be some other plans, you know, like a trade or something or some some smart moves. And then free agency opened. J. David Clowney didn't want to re-sign for Seattle at the money they offered. They basically kept that offer on the table for a few days and then said, we can't hang about here. We've got to move on and re-sign Bruce Irvin for a, a contract that was like something like a 35% pay increase and what he was on in Carolina. Again, that's that signature came from nowhere and there was no obvious reason why he was being given a third more than he was on in Carolina to play in Seattle. And they signed Benson Mayowa and called it a job. And I can remember being really patient right up until the point when I thought, oh, that is actually their plan. That's it, is to re-sign two guys that have been in Seattle in the past, their guys, neither of which are adequate to fix a pass rush, and that's going to be it. And I'm and I'm in the same boat now. I'm kind of like seeing these kind of deals. I think, okay, that's fine. I'm going to see what they do when free agency opens and play this by ear for now. But Adam, I must admit, if we just go through this and it just is Cody Barton being re-signed, Puna Ford being re-signed, you know, people like that, and we just end up looking at the roster and they've got like $2 million of cap space left. And they've not actually improved anything. They've just sort of kept everything together that was here last year. And the only improvement that's going to happen is through the draft. That will be a massive disappointment because a year ago, everyone was going, oh, they're going to have this much money to spend. They're going to have this much money to spend. And it feels a little bit like they've just frittered that away on their own players, many of which are replaceable, very replaceable. Oh, sorry, I think I think there's two things to say here. Firstly, everyone gets very excited about that sort of projected cap number when it comes around in November and December. And they're like, oh, my God, we're going to have so much money to spend in free agency. And they often discount the fact that you also need to have X number of players under your ownership before that money actually becomes that exciting. Because it does. It, it's so much harder to create money than spend money. And I think the Seahawks show that in the sense that we think, oh my God, right, we've got to, you know, if we can find a way to get rid of Gabe Jackson, like we might have a hole at right guard, but, and then you spend it straight away on two guys that if you look at social media, that's been largely criticized, right? So that they've had to work so hard to create 6 million that they've spent just like that. And some people say, but that's literally just to flesh out the team. Um, so I think that's one thing, that it is much harder to create the money than spend it. And, and people do need to be much more observant. Observant sounds like I'm being, you know, talk, talking like I know more than anyone else. I don't. But if you look at it long enough, like that money top line number you're given in November doesn't mean anything until you've got a full 
roster and you've allocated your rookie payments and stuff like that, that money can be frittered so quickly. And and the second thing is, I think uh, Mike Dugar always said to me that the Seahawks spend all their money, but they're a cheap franchise in the sense that, you know, that when Joe Tooney came around, for example, as a, as an offensive, you know, someone they could, they could sign, there isn't even a hint that Seattle would be interested in that. And there's a lot to say that, you know, maybe, you know, free agency is a place that you spend a lot of money and fritter away on players that you don't need. But there's this kind of, I don't know, like arrogance in some courts in Seattle. Oh, the Seahawks wouldn't dare get involved on day one of free agency and sign a big player. And like that's all very well. But then you end up signing like 10 players for 70 million when three players for 70 million could make a marked difference on your team. And I think when you look at Nwosu, who's probably the most expensive player they've ever signed in free agency, he's probably also the best player they've signed in free agency since Mike Bennett and Cliff Averill. And it, I don't think that's a coincidence. Like eventually the market dictates what these players are worth for a reason. And the Seahawks spend all their money every year, but I don't think anyone really thinks they spend it in the right way. And I think on, on the pyramid of sort of where it goes, they seem to spend all of their money on guys they trade for as if they double down on, on the moves just to like compound the mistake they made in the first place. When like there are players that they need to pick up in free agency that they just don't even seem to consider. And I really hope that changes this year, but it's going to be hard what with having to pay a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, what you said is, is very, is very, is very true. And I think that the the problem is, is the same people who are saying the Seahawks never go in for the big splashy free agent move. We know what they're going to do. They never question whether the Seahawks are doing the right thing. They just point out what the Seahawks have always done, but they never look into whether that is right. I'd have a bit more time for some of the journalists on Twitter going, "Well, the Seahawks just don't do that, so don't even talk about it." If they then said, "Well, actually," there's the reason why they do this and here's why and here's the argument for it or even said here's the argument against it the 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 policy is never explained it's just said here's what it is and it's tough shit you know it's it, it really should be sort of defended or or critiqued and i think it is it warrants critiquing because they've not had a good free agency in a long long time and you actually look at some of the cap hits this year um so this is they've I've had a look. The Phil Haynes money is now on over the caps thing at $4 million for a cap hit. So they're calling that a clear $4 million. They've now got $15.9 million in effective cap. That's how much money they've actually got to spend in free agency, 15.9. If they re-sign Geno Smith and sign him to a deal which pays him the, the smallest amount in year one, you're looking at about $10 million there, which will put them at about $5 million for the rest of the offseason. Now, they can cut Gabe Jackson. They could cut other people or extend Shelby Harris or whatever and create some more room. They don't have a lot of wiggle room, though. They don't have millions and millions to create. And right now, they're paying $18 million for Jamal Adams, $18 million for Quandre Diggs, $16.75 for Tyler Lockett, $13.7 million for DK, uh, DK Metcalf. Yechenna and Wosu's cap hit this year is $13 million. Shelby Harris's is 12.2. Uh, Will Disley's is 9 million. Quinton Jefferson's, 6.4 million. Al Woods, 5.4 million. I mean, that's a lot of money on players that you think, I'm not sure about that. Um, but the problem is, is, you know, you could say, oh, well, they could cut Shelby Harris and save 9 million. Yeah, but they're also spending $3 million for Shelby Harris to play somewhere else. 
And Shelby Harris was one of the few defensive linemen who actually played all right last year. And he knows the scheme. And he's a good leader. So I, I, don't, I don't know about that one. Uh, we've got some super chats coming in. Uh, LA Angels UK. I'm not sure why you would be a Seahawks and an Angels fan, by the way. But nevertheless, he says, is the Ped Pod leading the way for UK NFL content? Uh, well, look, I, I think so. Because you look at the, um, the the fact that they're breaking news and ESPN's there crediting the Ped Pod yesterday, Adam. This is and, quite enough of this, Robert. And you've, you've had interviews with, I mean, you just run through them. KJ Wright, Doug Baldwin. Cliff Abel. Good. And we've got we've got Nick we, yeah Cliff a couple of times and Nick is back on tomorrow to explain there you go. his his reasoning but no we're not this Lofa yeah, Tupu Yeah Lofa hey Lofa. check out check out the back catalog there's there's some good stuff in there That's, that stuff. was my favorite one with Lofa I always love Lofa <laughs> We've also got this from Jack assuming we don't trade up or down who's your favorite pick for us at both 5 and 20 Well Jack I really appreciate the super chat I think you will find as we get onto the draft that we're going to talk about this so I, I will I will get onto that very very shortly uh, very quickly guys before we get onto some some draft talk and and there's another at least one other super chat that's coming I will get to that in a minute um, What do we think about Geno Smith's future What do we think is going to happen what do we want to happen Bobby you go first Well I don't want Geno Smith back for 40 million that talk is just asinine um and the fact that that's even a number being thrown around to me is 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 crazy. Um, and I think by just by the sheer numbers that you just threw out, Rob, by the players that we have locked up, I I honestly, <laughs> I honestly would just rather say Drew Lock, we're gonna give you a shot on a one year deal. We're gonna have you come in and compete with a rookie running or a rookie quarterback that we're gonna draft. And that's the route we would go. That's what I would like to see, to be honest. And this is nothing like before anybody starts flaming me about Geno hate or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It's literally just like we can't. This was never part of the design. I don't think they expected Geno to come in and play as well as he did. And even then, I, I mean, yes, he played well. But did he play well enough to, to get a contract that's better than Russell Wilson's? No, and and that's not something we want to do. And and I think this was never part of their plan. And I think having uh, a young quarterback um, compete with Drew Locke is probably the right way to go. And uh, I think it's just time to say thank you, Gino, for your your year of service. But you you're now out at our bar part. Hey, go to Tampa and follow Dave Canellis or whatever, and 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 play there because that that seems like a better a better better option for him. I'm just amazed by the lack of people in the media who are willing to have a conversation about how much is too much. Because we've kind of gone from, oh, they should franchise tag him, they should franchise tag him, and that's a no-brainer, to it being tossed out there. And the person who suggested that, G that Gino Smith is asking for 40 million is Dave Wyman. Who has John Schneider just started a weekly radio show with? And it, by the way, he's doing it in 15 minutes, but, you know, watch us and listen back to that on demand. Um, John Schneider is with Dave Wyman every Thursday at 4 p.m. in Seattle for half an hour. I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think it probably is true that Geno Smith's opening gambit was 40 million. And when you hear that um, Daniel Jones is asking for 45 million with the Giants, it, it seems that these quarterbacks are trying it on. They're thinking this is our year to earn the money. And we're going to go for it. And there are enough people in the media. Rich, I listened to Rich Eisen saying Daniel Jones sh should get that because it's his turn. He, he's a free agent, and therefore he gets what the 
all of the quarterbacks get. For me, a smart team is going to step forward and go, no, average quarterbacks don't deserve elite money. We're just going to move on. We're going to move on. You can go and let another team be the Tennessee Titans or the Las Vegas Raiders and the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to shoot for better than that at a cheaper cost. So thank you, Daniel Jones, but no thanks. And I hope that the Seahawks go, you want 40 million? Go and see if somebody else will give you that. Thanks, but we're out. This is what we're offering. It ain't anywhere near 40 million. Come back to us if you want to take our offer. I sincerely hope the Seahawks are going to do that. And I hope they don't franchise him. And I hope they play hard to get. Like they have done with other players, Frank Clark, Jadavian Clowney, and prepared to move on. I think they are prepared to move on. I do not think for a second that John Schneider is feeling like they have to sign Geno Smith. And I that's the other reason why I don't understand why the media is not being a little bit more critical on the signing. But Adam, before I get your answer, I just want to read this from a Bob Condota article. And again, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of joined up DNA here. Bob Condota wrote Dave Wyman's book. So again, there, there, there might be a there might be some cross-pollination of, of information here between, you know, the GM and people in the media. This is what Bob Condot has said. The Seahawks may not want too much of a long-term commitment with Smith and will want to assure they can structure the deal in a way to allow them to address their other issues. And a two- or three-year deal, especially if there is a void year at the end, doesn't mean the Seahawks can't draft a quarterback in the first round. Seattle drafted Russell Wilson in the third round in 2012 after signing Matt Flynn to a three-year $20.5 million deal. In other words, the Seahawks can take care of the present while also looking to the future. And that may well be the way they go. That is the only article I've read so far that has talked openly about the Seahawks potentially drafting a quarterback. I think I read something in The Athletic this week with uh, your friend, uh, Adam, saying that something similar. Like They may want to draft a quarterback. And, and it, it, that starting to become more of a thing. But at the moment, it's still very much Gino, Gino, Gino. And I think John Schneider is thinking quarterback at five, quite possibly. He's open to getting Gino Smith as a bridge. But if the cost's too much, I think he's going to do what Robbie said, suggested and sign Drew Locke instead. What do you want to, What do you want to happen, Adam? What do you think is going to happen? There's a comment on the on the chat by EWWEE2K, about 10 comments up, Rob, that says, if the Seahawks are interested in competing next season, then they should franchise Gino. 30 million is the price for a decent QB. Every word of that makes absolute perfect sense, right? And, and would be complete common logic. The problem I find when I'm watching the NFL now is that you have this enormously bloated middle class of $30 million quarterbacks who ultimately are just acting as placeholders for teams somewhere between six and 11 and 10 and seven. And these teams aren't actually going anywhere. And it's like the, they've forgotten that the point is to win the Super Bowl, not just sort of be in and around vague competition. And for me, that whole middle class of quarterbacking, I think at some point will go. And if you ask me what to pay a quarterback, I would pay a quarterback either 15 million or 50 million. And I don't really see any reason to pay in between that because there's so little evidence that a $30 million quarterback 
offers you anything more than just existing at maybe the upper-ish tier of the game, that you might as well pay the cheaper guy, hope that you can get good play with good scheme and good coaching and use that money, that other $35 million on three starting players that can be game wreckers and game changers, that for the Seahawks to set Geno's market seems completely absurd to me. Um, there's no need to do that. Like there'll, there'll be people that say, oh, well, you, you need a quarterback on the roster. I mean, maybe, but not if it's at the expense of 10 to $15 million that you didn't have to spend. I, I think the Seahawks should engage in a pretty aggressive game of chicken with Geno Smith and see what happens. And if they don't like the outcome, just get rid and get someone else in. Um, you know, back themselves at, at what they did to Geno Smith. Look, at, what you can say is Geno Smith did not come to Seattle the quarterback that we saw last year. So there was an element of coaching that's gone into that to improve him. So back is off to do it with someone else. But I just think you're just frittering money away that could be spent better elsewhere by giving this guy 30 to $35 million. What's the point? I just don't, I don't, I don't know what we're gaining from it. I was in, I was having a conversation with a few people. Joe Fan, I think was involved, uh, Lance Zierling. And, and Lance made the, the a very valid point. He said, at what point did the NFL get to this position where there was a going rate for average quarterbacks? Like this idea that, well, 30 million is the going rate, so it'd be fair and should be paid. No, you determine on a, on a case-by-case basis, are you, you know, why does you have to pay 30 million just because the going, going rate? You don't have to pay that. You can say no. You can choose not to. If let, How many suitors are there for, the, for, the, for Geno Smith's services? Let's say there's two. Let's say there's Tampa Bay and Seattle for example, if neither of those teams want to pay him $30 million, then he ain't getting $30 million. The going rate then becomes what a team is prepared to pay him. So I think you let you go and find out what his value is in free agency for a guy who did absolutely nothing for a decade in this league and then has had, what, three quarters of a good season with the Seahawks and then finished the season throwing turnovers and almost turning the ball over? You don't have to pay that guy $30 million. And plus, the Seahawks, like Adam has said, I think you should view this as, do you have an elite quarterback? And they are few and far between. You're talking Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert maybe. You know, like the top, top guys that you you pay a lot of money to keep because they're that good and everybody wants them and it's their second contract. And of course, you keep those players. Everybody else should be dispensable. Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Kyler Murray. I would even include Lamar Jackson in that because I think he's been too injured. I don't think, for example, the Ravens should pay him what he's asking for. If I was them, I'd take two first-round picks and move on and go and find somebody else. And I think you've got to be prepared to experience pain when you do that. Now, the Seahawks were prepared, showed they were prepared to experience pain when they traded Russell Wilson because we didn't know 12 months ago that Russell Wilson was going to become the Russell Wilson that we saw in 2022. So they embraced that mentality of this could be painful. They should do that again this year. Embrace the fact that Drew Locke might be crap, but he'll be a crap player at $3.5 million, not an average player at 30. That's the way that they should view this, in my opinion. Now, if you can get Geno Smith for $20 million, and people will say that's ridiculous. It's only ridiculous because people keep talking about giving him 30 or $40 million. Like, no one would have said $20 million to Geno Smith a year ago was an unfair amount for him. If he's willing to take that as a bridge with a low year one cap hit, great. 
If he isn't, be prepared to move on. Because again, a year ago when Wilson was traded, what was everybody saying? You've got the stock to go and get your quarterback now next year. It's cheap, a cheap contract, which will get the benefits from that. The Seahawks, for me, need a bridge. If that's Geno Smith, fantastic. I still think that's the best of both worlds. You have Geno for, for this year, and then when you're ready, you pass the torch in the same way that the Chiefs did with Alex Smith, passing the torch to Patrick Mahomes. That would be ideal, but not at any cost. Not at the expense of not being able to bring in a great defensive lineman or to, to, to get somebody, even if it's a couple of Uchenna and Wosu-type players, to bring them into your roster. It's not, it's not at the expense of that, not for me. Uh, so that's, that's the way I would go, and I would seriously consider uh, a quarterback at five. We've had this super chat here. I'll just, I mean, I've not seen Aziz Al Shair. I don't know if either of you have, so I can't really pass comment there. Uh, Robbie says he has. Draymond he's a, Jones. The big guy, 6'2, corner. Uh, wait, he uh, plays for the Niners. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, know who he, I know who he is. Draymond Jones for me is somebody who's going to get overpaid, I think. I, I, think he's a, I think he's a situational rusher type player. I wouldn't really want to go down that road. I'd, I think there are other players like him that would be better value. Um, but and I think there's players in the draft who can do what he can do for a fraction of the price. But um, so, what what do you think, Robbie? Any thoughts on those two? Yeah, I have no. I mean, I have no idea what their market is going to be. Um, I, I mean, he he certainly as as far as the corner goes, he he certainly has the size Seattle looks for, um, and he comes from San Francisco's uh, background, so he has some some familiarity with that. So, I mean, I could see them being interested. I just don't know at what cost that. No idea. Um, I want to get on to this next. And I promise those people are sort of wanting to know about the draft and the quarterbacks and stuff that we we will get there. Um, actually, no, do you know what? We're, in the, we're on the quarterback topic, so we'll get to that first and then we'll, we'll get on to these quarterback things. Um, Robbie, I, I keep hearing, and Adam, I keep hearing people talking about how flawed the top four quarterbacks are. I keep hearing how underwhelming they all are. And I kind of wonder, why are we hearing this? Like, Why is the media doing this? Because I seem to remember a year ago, it was at this time of year when people were saying, Malik Willis in the top 10, Desmond Ritter could go in the first round, Matt Corral, top 15 type thing. Loads of players are going to, that, that people were saying five quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. That was actually things that people were saying in the media. And I, and I never got that. And a year on, I'm thinking, we have four quarterbacks who could legitimately go in the top five, six. And people are acting like that's the silliest thing they've ever heard. But I think they're really good players. They are all flawed, but so were Mahomes, Herbert, Allen. You know, Joe Burrow wasn't flawed, but he got to throw to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson for a year. So, I mean, that's, you know, who wouldn't look good in that, in that system for LSU? Adam, why? What's going on here? Like, I don't understand the negativity around this quarterback class. And don't you have to expect that, you know, in order to find greatness, you have to be willing to take a chance sometimes. And, and the Chiefs took a chance on Mahomes and they've won two Super Bowls. You know, the Bills took a chance on Josh Allen and they've, they've reached levels that they've not reached for decades because of that decision. You're never going to get the perfect quarterback, are you? Unless you're picking first overall and you happen to be picking in the year that the, the ideal quarterback is there. And, and even those ideal quarterbacks, Andrew Luck and Trevor Lawrence, have not exactly hit the ground running. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck retired. 
Trevor Lawrence is, is starting to show some signs of potential, but it, it's taken two years. You've, you've, you have, haven't you got to be willing to take a chance to achieve greatness in this league? And, and do you think that John Schneider will be more prepared to do that? Because if you actually look at his history, he's, he's gone to, I mean, he even mentioned in his show last week that he was scouting Mahomes and Allen, and, it, and it's been reported that he liked those two. Russell Wilson was a, you know, had the traits, didn't have the height, but he had all of the traits. And let's not forget they've traded a lot for Charlie Whitehurst, who was traits and wasn't the finished article. So I kind of look at this four and think, these are four quarterbacks, especially three of them, Stroud, Levis and Richardson, that are right up John Schneider Street. They are right up there in terms of the physical traits. Why wouldn't he want to take one at five? Do you think, and this is, you know, real like galaxy brain thinking, but it maybe isn't the first round that's filled with sort of the top level talent and huge personalities and, you know, offensive superstars that we've seen in the past. And there's so many people that are paid to talk about the draft that we're just sort of arriving at silly season before it normally comes around. Like there's mock drafts that you see now. I mean, Danny Jeremiah did one a couple of days ago and he said, I'm not doing any, any trades. So I'm just going to pick these players. Well, the whole thing's defunct. If you're going to do that, like what's the point? Like you're just wasting everyone's time because there are obviously going to be trades and there are some clear ones that you could at least, you know, start off with to make it a bit more realistic and I don't know, it, it strikes me that almost that there's so many people that are expected to offer an opinion on this stuff that it just seems like a more, you know, chattable thing to say that, oh, well, they're all crap. So, uh, you know, oh, actually, no, they're not. Yes, they are. And then Emmanuel Acho can can do what he wants to do. And, you know, they've all just got too much time to fill by the sounds of things and offering a counter argument where it does seem pretty clear that there are some markedly better quarterbacks in this year's draft than they were last year. It just seems like it's a time-filling exercise at the moment. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, like from the Seahawks, Robbie, a lot of these mock drafts, they don't even consider, they don't even sound like they're considering a quarterback. A lot of them in the blurb will say, I expect Geno Smith to be an inevitable re-sign and therefore they have their quarterback, so they're going to draft whoever the defensive lineman is that's next on my board. And you think, well, even if they sign Geno Smith, is Geno Smith clearly the answer for the next, for more like the more the next two years? Because as a franchise, they've not had a, a, a top five pick since two thousand and nine. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be here again anytime soon. If you have a chance to draft a great quarterback, don't you have a duty to at least seriously consider that to have one in the chamber to have someone that you're developing? Because there's a, a decent chance that midway through next season, Geno Smith, off the back of a, a bigger contract and a bigger salary, is is going to turn back into Geno Smith, as we saw in the second half of last season. And you're then going to go, oh, crap. We don't have a, re a means to get to a quarterback now. That They'll be like picking either in the teens or 20th or something like that again. Geno Smith will have been pretty average. And the only way that you'll, you'll have of getting a top five quarterback is to trade into the top five at massive expense, costing multiple first round picks, which is not what you want to get into. Don't you have a duty? to seriously consider a quarterback at number five, Robbie, to make that investment. And remember, you've got 20, you've got 38, you've got 53, you've got a, a third round pick to spend whatever you want on defense. Don't they have to consider it? 
Yeah, a thousand percent. I think you just kind of nailed it right there. I mean, the amount of picks that we have after the fifth round pick, if we just had the fifth round, I could see maybe them trying to trade back and maybe taking some of those defensive players instead. But you have an opportunity here to draft at least one of the top four quarterbacks in, in, in this draft and, and a potential game changer. You have to roll the dice. And and it's when three of the four have some of the physical traits that John Snyder, you know, is looking for, you have to consider that as a realistic, you know, a realistic option. For me, I, I don't see any other way. For me, when I see draft picks that are just like us, oh, it's Tyree Willis and, or Willis and the, Wilson, and then that's it. And then, and they say the same thing. Well, Gino's coming back, so they don't need a quarterback. I think it's just lazy. It's a lazy mock. It just immediately, I just, I, I don't even want to see who they picked at 20. I'm just, I, I'm annoyed with it and I, I move on. And even some of these other ones that are like, well, maybe Hendon Hooker, like later on, and they, they talk about it later. Like, I still feel like that's just lazy. I don't feel like that's really diving into what could possibly happen, and especially the ones that kind of Adam was saying where they don't even make any trades and it's like, well, it's kind of boring and you kind of just throw it out the window right there. I I, I, I think and a lot you'll see a lot change after the combine, Rob. Like we talked about this like last year, every year after the combine, all of a sudden, you know, Jordan Davis moved up into the top 10 because he had an absolute phenomenal combine and, and people originally didn't have him even close to the top 10, you know? And so the things will change after the combine and that's what I'm kind of waiting to see. And I think that's when you start to see some of these numbers when they're running their forties and, and, you know, throwing you know pads down and see what actually happens i think that's where you see you know you'll see some of this and you know people get wowed by throws too you know you, what was the uh malik willis had that one wraparound throw and he threw it like 65 yards and everyone was like number one pick absolute number one pick in the draft and, and wait he went like <laughs> fourth round people had him in the second overall pick to yeah. detroit off the it's back of crazy. that throw in his swim shorts i mean it that's was awesome just... saying people just get crazy about these kind of things it's wow. it's funny man I'll tell you what, there's some, there are some very John schneider quarterbacks in this draft. I just have to say, you know, Will Levis, is, I've spoken to Will Levis, I've interviewed him. His personality is very John Schneider. And his arm is very John Schneider. And his love of the game and his live in the gym and everybody loves him in Kentucky mentality is... And like, listen, I spoke to people at Kentucky in preparing that, in, in getting that interview set up. They love Will Levis. They love Will Levis. So just saying, I've only seen him mocked to Seattle by one person. That's Mel Kuyper so far. Uh, if he's there at five, won't be shocked. Also won't be shocked at all if Anthony Richardson is there. Seahawks just think, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to explain another reason why in a moment. Um, Kay Soon Soon says, how do the top four quarterbacks compare to, uh, to next year's class? It's like for, it's too early to say, and I really don't. And this, I'm not suggesting, case soon soon that you're doing this. I think you're just asking what's the difference. People always look to next year's quarterback class. I just think you look at each year and you don't think too much about the next. Like last year, you make an assessment that this is a crap quarterback class. We're not going to take one. And then you do a bit of study and you think, yep, yeah, I'm going to wait till next year. And a lot of teams did that. Right now. I, if I'm a team in the top 10, I'm thinking there's four really good guys here and that's all I'm thinking about. I'm going to try and get one if I need one. And there are four, there are not many years when you can go, there are four quarterbacks that you'd take at number five. And there are. And I think that's a great thing for the Seahawks. One of the reasons why I think, but I think there's a, a few reasons why I also think they might go quarterback. I've watched a lot of, I don't think Will Anderson is 
a Von Miller type or a Miles Garrett type. I think he's, I think in a typical draft, he would be more like eighth overall, 10th overall, something like that. Um, depending on how he tests, I don't think he's a generational pass rusher. So therefore I, I think there's a stiffness in him when he, his get off is not quite as good. And I think the, you see the same with Tyree Wilson, as big as he is, I think there's a stiffness in his movements. I think that, yes, when he gets those big, long, powerful arms into somebody, he can jolt, he can split blocks, he can barge his way into the backfield. What you're not going to see from him, though, is that extra, elite get-off, bend the arc straight into the quarterback, which is how the top, top players, you know, people are going to say he's size-wise, he reminds him of Miles Garrett, but speed-wise, he doesn't. He's not as quick or as agile as anything like Miles Garrett. So, again, let's see what the combine shows. I don't think you're finding an, an elite difference maker there. The one player who has got elite get off and then drives into blockers and has that power and that disruption is Jalen Carter. But Jalen Carter also has serious character flaws. We've seen Tom McShay talk about this. And I've, I've been seeing Thor Nystrom on Twitter really late, saying that it was a fireable offense for Tom McShay to talk about this. Tom McShay is just relaying what he's hearing in league circles. You can go on to Lance Zeeland's draft report of Jalen Carter, and he says that the player has got questions about his maturity that he needs to answer. So that's McShay and Zeeland who are both bringing this up. Uh, I am not an insider like Adam, not in the slightest, and I will not claim to be. I do have an opportunity to have information passed on from time to time and hear certain things. All I can say is that there are some concerns about Jalen Carter. It's maturity, and there's a feeling that he kind of did what he wanted at Georgia, that he was kind of a law unto himself, whether he was going to turn up to certain things or not. Kind of did what he wanted. And that's kind of, I think, what the, you know, that's perhaps a bit of, you know, when people talk about maturity and Jalen Carter, that's kind of what they're talking about. And I, and I do wonder a little bit because John Schneider went on the radio at the end of the season and said that character is like a big thing for them. And remember, they had issues with like the Malik McDowell pick. I'm not comparing Carter to McDowell, but I'm just saying they've, they've, they've had mistakes, haven't they? Drafting players who don't have great character. And he said it's big for them and that they have to determine whether someone's a Carter, who is an excellent player with huge potential and has got that sort of elite get off and quickness and power that perhaps Anderson and Wilson don't have to be top, top players. But I think there's going to be some serious work done by the Seahawks to determine whether they want him, as Tom McShay would say, in your locker room. I think there's going to be some serious work there. And I don't think they'll be alone. And look, um, teams might go, yeah, do you know what? We don't mind. We're going to take him anyway. That's distinctly possible in the top five. Whether the Seahawks will do it, I'm not sure. And here's why, guys. I want to play you a clip. And this is Dave Wyman talking on Seattle Sports about Kayvon Thibodeau and Seattle's lack of interest in him a year ago. Take a look at this. The other reason why they would trade back is if all the players that they think are top five picks are gone, then they're just not going to pick. I mean, last year we talked about Thibodeau. You know, that was a guy that they just weren't going to draft. They did. I mean, pfft probably in the second round or at some point, yeah, you know, but that was just a guy that they didn't really, they weren't very high on. So there you go. That is the guy. That is the show, by the way, that John Schneider does. He, he appears with those guys. I'm not suggesting for a second that 
John Schneider passed on that information. But why else would Dave Wyman? That is very, very specific, that, isn't it? To say they wouldn't have taken Kayvon Thibodeau. They had no interest in him in the top 10. That wasn't, I don't think they had no interest in Kayvon Thibodeau. That was, they didn't have any interest in him. Now, the knock on Thibodeau and, and the worsen concerns voiced was that he's a bit obsessed with money. That when he was having meetings and he was talking to teams, he was constantly talking about his brand. He was talking about how he was going to use the NFL to create a brand and make loads of money and stuff like that. And it was a bit off-putting for some teams who kind of wanted to hear a bit less me, 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 money, 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 and a bit more like what he was going to achieve in the NFL. His answers to questions was like, I want to win a Super Bowl because it will make me a load of money and stuff like that. That's, you know, Dave Wyman there saying the Seahawks wouldn't have drafted him if he'd lasted to number nine. So, Robbie, I'm telling you that there are maturity concerns about Jalen Carter. Teams are going to have to do a lot of work on him. Apparently, they didn't want to draft Kayvon Thibodeau last year. Do you agree that this sounds a little bit like there's at least a chance that the Seahawks won't want to draft Jalen Carter at number five? Yeah, I think they'd actually probably be more interested in Will Anderson, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the things that that have come out about Carter just, you know, even in the last couple of weeks have made me think that they they might. I'm not saying they're not going to have interest. Obviously, they're going to do their homework um, on him and, and, you know, probably interview him and talk with him and, and such. I mean, they'd be silly not to. But I think, you know, I could I could see a scenario where they, they just take him off the board because of character concerns. So, yeah, I think this could be an issue. Adam, I mean, do, it, it, you can, I understand and I appreciate that I'm maybe putting two and two together and getting five with all of this. But the, the emphasis on character that's been admitted by Schneider, that clip that suggests they weren't interested in Kayvon Thibodeau a year ago, and the stuff that we know about Jalen Carter, with there at least being a concern about his maturity. It's been reported by Todd McShay and Lance Sealing, and there is a feeling, I know there's a feeling, at least in some elements in the league, of, of maturity questions doesn't this have to be at least thought of you know because we're not thinking about it you know people are not talking about this people just say he's great he'd be a great pick i i don't i'm not sure that they'll take him if he's there at number five i don't think it's it, it may even get to a point where he's just not viewed as a seahawk that he's almost you know people talk about the risk of the quarterbacks they may think that jalen carter's a bigger risk to take a number five I mean, I think a bigger risk might be, you know, actually on the field, the conditioning levels that he showed in the, you know, two biggest games of, of the season. Um, that may be of, of more of a concern. And look, I, I don't want to go down sort of a, a slippery slope and start, you know, conflating everything t- together. But, you know, they might see that, you know, when it comes to the maturity side of things that he, you know, he put a big focus on conditioning. And when it really mattered, he wasn't really in shape to perform to the level that he wanted. Now, look, he's going to have incredible trainers in the NFL. I'm sure he had them at Georgia as well, but as a professional and surrounded by professionals, perhaps that that changes. Um, I would probably be being disingenuous if I dealt, you know, dove too much into this because I don't know enough about about the topic to say beyond sort of what, what we've discussed. Um, but if, you know, and I know there's been this sort of quite big charm offensive in the last week on the other side when they're talking about him paying for scholarships and that is obviously you know love you know great and it's fantastic and I'm, there's no reason to deny that being true but you do sometimes feel that it's like a bit of a tennis match with stuff like this that they've heard a 
So they want to come back with B of actually, no, 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 it's not. And there's so much sort of stuff being fed into the, into the general media with this, that it's, it, it runs the risk of becoming quite a dangerous discussion point for anyone to have. And, you know, we have to have them because that's what we're here to do. Um, It's a tricky one with him just because, I mean, for me, you're taking a defensive player when there's no outstanding defensive player at five and you, you need a quarterback and there might be an outstanding quarterback, that makes my decision pretty easy. I want a quarterback at five almost regardless because I think you just put as many bullets in the chamber as possible to make yourself a better team and a quarterback does that. Um, so I, I'd be annoyed at a defensive player just just for that, really. Um, we hope that we never get to pick at five again. And if we don't pick at five again, trying to find a quarterback from 18, 20 onwards becomes markedly harder than doing it at number five. Um, so that's really why I'm against Jalen Carter, because I'm against Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, Wilson, all of them. I, I, I want my quarterback now, and I'll deal with the rest of it after that. Well, you see, the thing I also is, say, yeah, go on, go on, Robert. Yeah, I just want to say they also pass on Jermaine Johnson too last year, remember? And he had mm-hmm. some character concerns, and we were, you were both and I, you and I were screaming at the top of the lungs, like, why aren't you taking him? And they passed on him twice. So, you know, that's another guy that you can throw into the mix. He had some character concerns right before the draft, and you know, they talked to him, so they they may have saw something that they just didn't like in him and passed on him. Absolutely. And and I think Adam raises a couple of good points there. What I would say is that I think Jalen Carter is sufficiently talented enough that even with this, he could still become an amazing player. I mean, he could ha- he could approach his life and career the exact same way that he's approached things at Georgia and, and kind of do what he wants. And he could still be an elite player because he's that good. I think he is that talented a player. When you actually dig through it, he does things that not many defensive tackles do. And he is a very talented player. It's just whether or not the Seahawks want to, I, th- I think with number five, they want to draft someone who's going to come in, who's going to be self-motivated, that they're not going to have to worry about, that's going to come in and just sort of be a focal point of the team. I don't think they want the number five overall pick to be someone who's they're going to have to kick his ass all the time to, to, to be there and be energised and up for it. And as you know, you quite rightly talk about the conditioning there, Adam. We've seen, a, I've highlighted a video on one of my other videos, um, him being asked last April about his conditioning and how Kirby Smart, the coach at Georgia, had said that has to be his priority. And he says, yep, that is my number one priority is improving my conditioning. And then he was asked again, what are you most keen to work on? He said, conditioning, number one, conditioning, I'm going to work on that. And then you see him against LSU and you in the SEC Championship and you see him in the, the playoff and his conditioning is all over the place. I've never seen a player as tired as he looked against Ohio State. I'm not, that's not hyperbole. I've never seen a player as gassed as he looked against Ohio State. That is going to be a concern for some teams. And it's going to be dug into. And I just wonder, and I I hate to keep coming back to it. Robbie's right. Will Anderson, there are no issues there. Nick Saban praises Will Anderson to the hilt as a character, as a a player, as a person. He, He went above and beyond to celebrate Will Anderson and Bryce Young during their college careers. So I don't think there's going to be any concerns with character there at all. And if he tests well, he could be very high on Seattle's board and they could take him. I don't know that much about Tyree Wilson. All I can do is I watch his interviews. He's a man of few words. I will say that. But there's no obvious character issues or anything like that. And if he tests very well, he could be very high on their board as well. But I'll tell you something now. There are zero character concerns about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud and Will Levis. In fact, I would say... I imagine that those three players 
are going to get 10 out of 10 grades for their character. And that's important at quarterback. And if the Seahawks are focused on character, there is a very good chance that they are going to rate those three quarterbacks very highly. I don't know enough about Anthony Richardson's character. Certainly doesn't seem to be anything out there that suggests he's a bad person. And I think he's a very good talker, very good communicator in his interviews. Whether he has the standing that the more experienced quarterback trio I've just mentioned have, I don't know. We'll probably find out during the combine how he interviews and stuff like that. But I'll tell you that the top three have got 10 out of 10 character. So if the Seahawks are focusing a lot on character, then I'm just saying, then that's, that is something that will play into this. And I can imagine John Schneider really liking these four quarterbacks at the top of the board. Just don't be surprised if they take one. And maybe if you're writing a mock draft and you're listening to this, just consider it. Even if you put a defensive player there, just go, yeah, they might take a quarterback. It won't kill you. The Seahawks don't have a quarterback signed on their roster right now. <laughs> it's kind of a need until that is addressed. Um, guys, I appreciate we've done an hour and eight minutes. How are you? How much longer have you got? Are you okay for another 10 minutes? I got another 10 minutes, yeah. Cool. Okay, because there's just a couple of other things I want to get to and there's some super chats to finish off with. So if they, whatever they do, you know, quarterback, defensive lineman, with that five pick. Robbie, what, what do you think are Seattle's other priorities for the draft? As of today, because I've got to go free agency first and some of those will get addressed. What are the positions that are at the forefront of your mind with those other picks? Well, we talked about it earlier, like linebacker, defensive line. Um, I know you wrote an article that said you don't think center is as big of a deal, but I, I disagree. I, I really want a center. I'm, I'm tired of just the shuffling of terrible centers, and, and I want someone who can hold their own against some of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. And, and I think – Are you in this I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But I would I'm like to sure. see them. I would like to at least see them try. I mean, so you could say the same thing about like the court. I mean, it's a future quarterback, a yeah, Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know. Just saying, but it's I worth a shot. Be. Could be right. Well, so I, like, I, don't th- I think this. I think this is a pretty crap center class. I'll just. I'll just I would just. That. I just really. I mean, at least bring someone in to compete with Austin Blythe if you're going to re-sign him, and and don't you don't bring him Joey Hunt. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think the center position needs to be something that's uh, uh, addressed. Um, a third wide receiver, I think, is a, is, is going to be another huge need, something that they should look at. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, I mean, really, you're going to have to start looking at that safety position as well. Both of those safeties, Diggs and and Adams, I, I don't know if they, they'll be back. We'll see. But, like, at this point, you're going to have to start planning ahead to not bring them back because their salaries are so ridiculous. So I my sort of priority positions, Adam, when I look at, uh, the draft and stuff like that. I I, I want them to go best player available. I, I I don't care if that's if they get to twenty and Michael Mayer's there or Bijan Robinson. I'm I'd take either of them. I don't care. I I want talent. That's what I want to do. I, I do appreciate that, that means you're going to have to do some stuff in free agency. But um, I mean, to Robbie's point on the centre, I want them to go and sign Garrett Bradbury just because I think he's solid. I don't think he's spectacular. But he's solid. He's kind of like a 69, 70 grade in PFF. And I think that'll do. And if you can get him for a Uchenna and Wosu style deal and plug him in there, he's got the build. It's perfect for the scheme, the athleticism, size, the leverage. I would go for him. And then I would try and get a cheaper, good age defensive lineman 
maybe a Zach Allen from Arizona who can play in this system, maybe a Derek Nardi who can play in this system. They've got the length, they've got the size that Seattle likes. Can you get them for an Awosu deal? And then I think if you do stuff like that, it's not the big splash that I'd love to see them do, but at least I think that sets you up to go best player available in the draft. How do you feel about it all? Yeah, I think they, if they're going to use money that they don't spend on Geno Smith, they should be using that up front. Solidify, I mean, this is so you know, proper football man cliche, isn't it? But I, I do think they're going to make their lives so much easier once they're set on both lines of scrimmage. Um, and they're not right now. You know, they, they don't create enough pressure on defense and they don't really protect the quarterback quite well enough on, on the interior offensive line. Um, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he got sacked once in the in the playoffs, did he? And again, like it, it is cliche, but they prioritize that to the point where they could, you know, spend $50 million on a quarterback and go over this much vaunted 13.1% of the cap. But they started eight rookies in the playoffs because they draft well and they focused and, and they spent money on the offensive line and defensive line where, where it really matters. So I think if as a policy, if they can focus on spending their heavy resources up front on both sides, it's going to be difficult to go far wrong. Do you know, like it's, it's, it, you, then they're going to get better almost automatically because they're just adding quality to those positions that are the ones that really matter. And what they've done in the past five years is spent a ridiculous amount of their resources on positions of minimal need. Yeah, agreed with that. Um, Robbie, if what, Darren Payne's going to be tagged, he, it's it's like somebody reported it's 99.9% likely that Darren Payne's going to be tagged. Would you spend 20, 38 or 53 on a trade for Darren Payne and then would have to pay him 20 million a year? All of them? No. No, 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 no. I mean, or any of them. Oh. Not, not all three. <laughs> I was like, hell no. Would you pay 20? <laughs> would you pay 38? Or would you pay... I mean, I, I don't think you could. You, they could ask for, for more than a pick. Yeah. Maybe maybe one of those in the, you know, some throwaway pick later on, mid, you know, fourth round or something. But would you, you know, what would... Maybe I should rephrase it differently. What would you trade for Deron Payne, if anything? I mean, depending on what happens at that number five, five pick, I, I, I could see myself maybe getting on board with that 20, but that 20 pick makes me feel like I I feel like I could still get another really good player there. So maybe 38, I'd definitely give up 38 then for that. Yeah. See, the reason I mean, I he's an interior it, lineman that you, I think yeah. could come in and really set the tone for you. 11 and a half sacks, great yeah. attitude, angry player, aggressive, intense, and um, a good age, 26 this year. I think you don't think he's turned 26 yet. I think he's 26 in May or June. And, the the thing is, is if you if you trade for him, you know if the if the the league window starts at him and you trade for him, right off the bat you've sold one of your most pressing needs. You know you've not had to go and negotiate. He will be only be able to negotiate with you as a franchise tag player. Yes, I think you get the contract done before you complete the trade, but you say to him, look, we've had an offer accepted. Let's do a deal. Everyone knows it's twenty million. If you're willing to pay Jamal Adams eighteen million a year, whatever it is, you should be willing to pay Deron Payne twenty million a year. It's not outrageous. You go and get the deal done, and then if you if you still want to draft a defensive lineman at five, you just add more talent to the defensive line. If you want to go quarterback, you can say we got the wrong pain in the first day of the league year, so we we address that need right off the bat. I mean, for me, it's it it almost feels like a no brainer. Do I think they're going to do it? Probably not. Uh, what what do you think? Are you for or against that kind of a, a move? I'm quite strongly for it. I, I think. 
because we haven't had this such a high pick for such a long time, the fan base and you know all the discourse is putting an enormous amount of gravitas and importance on that pick. Like it's number five. We've got to do so- like if you just make it like it's your turn to pick a player, pick a player. It kind of takes so much of the sting out of it, but it's number five and number five. I mean, number five is basically what you've given up your entire franchise for because you've got Charles Cross and you've got this pick. So it all comes down basically to this. And I think the worst thing they can do is go into that draft with multiple options with what to do with that number five, or at least more options than they need to. And if they have got the defensive lineman through free agency, at least they can sit back and say, right, you know, look, Jalen Carter's there. That, you know, that that's that's great. And that becomes an, something we can discuss. But, you know, if he's not, if, yeah, if they've not done it, then they're like, oh, well, should we pick up Wilson or Miles Murphy? When deep down, you know they're not worth the number five. And uh, they have to go into that, that pick knowing that whatever player they're going to get at five is worth five. And I think doing something like that and getting Deron Payne in free agency is a way to really close off a potential balls up in the draft, really. So I think it has a knock-on effect that makes it makes their life so much easier throughout the whole process. I think it'd be a smart move. And I, and if it didn't work out, I would, I would not criticize. Like say 38 for Deron Payne or 53 for Deron Payne or whatever. I think the commanders are tagging him because they want to tag and trade him. I don't think they're tagging him with the expectation they're going to pay another defensive lineman. I've been paid Jonathan Allen and we'll have to pay Montez Sweat and maybe Chase Young. That something's got to give. They drafted a defensive lineman in the second round in, in Federian Mathis a year ago because I think they were anticipating replacing Deron Payne with another Alabama defensive tackle. Second round is a high pick for a defensive tackle and you've paid Jonathan Allen. And I think what happened is because he had such a good season with 11 and a half sacks, they feel obliged to tag him and either sort of play it by ear. They don't have a lot of money, by the way. Play it by ear or trade him. And I think if you make a good enough offer and I think they'll be inclined to accept it. And I think getting... Getting him for 53 or 38 will just set you up for the rest of the offseason. I think it excite the fan base. And again, I, I, if it doesn't work out, well, I can't I can't have a go on for that. I think it's, it's a deal that makes a lot of sense. The only issue I'd have is I'm kind of looking at 38 and I do like some of the receiver options at 38. I think Josh Downs is Tyler Lockett 2.0. He is so like Tyler Lockett, Josh Downs. He is like Tyler Lockett but he high points the ball better than Tyler Lockett. I mean, he, I think Josh Downs has got Seahawks written all over him, frankly. And if he's there at 38, I think they'll find it very hard not to draft him. And, and I, he could even be an option at 20, depending on how he tests. I think Josh Downs is somebody the Seahawks, his character, by the way, is through the roof, Josh Downs. Just watch any interview with Josh Downs. His dad played in the league and his, and his uncle is Dre Bly. Remember Dre Bly played in the league? He sounds like a pro already. He talks like he's played in the league for 10 years. He's going to be high on Seattle's radar. So remember that name, Josh Downs, the receiver at North Carolina. And Jonathan Mingo, no one talks about Jonathan Mingo. He is a, like, watch his senior bowl one, you know, reps that he had. I've, I've watched them all now. And Jonathan Mingo is the real deal. It's someone I've been talking about for a long time. And no one else talks about him. I think he's a second round lock. And he, if he runs well, like he has to run well, I, I accept that. He's going to he's going to be taken a lot higher than people think. He is a tremendous receiver. They're the two receivers that I've got an eye on for the Seahawks. Robbie, you said they needed a, a wide receiver three. 
They're the two players that I'm keeping an eye on. Forget Jackson Smith and Jigba and people like that. Josh Downs, Jonathan Mingo are the two receivers that I'm having a big look at. Uh, fellas, appreciate your time. I'm going to finish with some super chats. Uh, we have got a last few in. DJ Jerry Nice again. Uh, thank you for all of these super chats, by the way. If you were to pinpoint three most players from this draft impersonating John Schneider, who would it be? My gut is Richardson, Skinner, and possibly Will McDonald. I think right now I would say possibly Josh Downs, who I've just uh, made reference to. I think Will Levis, maybe, if I'm thinking like John Schneider. Brian Branch. Nah, maybe. Branch is a very good player. But if I'm thinking like the three must-haves from a Seahawks perspective, I will say Levis, Downs, and I'm torn on the other one, potentially Michael Mayer, potentially Michael Mayer, potentially Will McDonald, because he just looks like the prototype Seahawks pass rusher. Kind of want to go with those two guys think but i could all if will anderson tests well i could also see them loving his attitude as well so i hope that's i know i've only given you five names there so i hope that's okay uh so uh, thank you for that super chat we have a couple more uh i might tag gino and sit levis or a rich for a year the only problem with that is that you guarantee him 32.4 million dollars and that all come you can't spread that out so if you if you sign him for a three-year deal, you can give him a low cap hit this year by ten million or something like that. I'm working out. If you tag him, he's thirty-two point four million. There's no, you can't lower that cap hit. It's just thirty-two, and they've got about fifteen million. So you would have to find seventeen million dollars just to be in the black to start off the year. So that, I, I don't know how they would do that. I, I for me, the tag seems like an, a complete impossibility at this point, but we'll see. Uh, Kay soon soon again. I ask because many say wait until next year's better. I think it's about the quarterback class. And many people do say that. And those people are just talking nonsense. Because right now I can only think of two quarterbacks who could potentially go very, very early. And this year's there's four. So people also always say that. Like, oh always say that. Just wait to see your next year's guys. Like it, it's a classic year in, year out trope, isn't it? Every single year. People were saying that about and I know Deshaun Watson is, we all view Deshaun Watson through a different lens these days. But people were saying that about him and Mahomes. They're crap. They're not good. Uh, Mitch Trubisky's better. That's why Mitch Trubisky goes second overall. Mahomes was, what, 10? Watson, 12. Lamar Jackson, what, 31 or 32 that year or something like that? You know, people overthought the crap out of that draft class, of those, those players. It was Lamar Jackson 2018. I think he probably was, wasn't he? But either way, people overthink these things. And I know look, people are always looking for the perfect quarterback. Traits matter. It's a traits league. People criticize me for focusing on traits and, and, and testing and stuff like that. It matters. It's, it's the NFL. It's, it's about the best athletes in the world hitting each other really hard. It, it, traits do matter. Uh, Corey says Zay Flowers is a CEO. Listen, I, I think Zay Flowers could be, could be somebody they really like. I just think when I think of a Seahawks receiver, I think of high points in the football suddenness and quick separations. Zay Flowers has got that. He doesn't really high point the ball. He does win com competitive catches. I'll give him that for his size. I just think Josh Downs, just go and watch. Please just go and watch Josh Downs, everybody. And watch the number of times he extends his arms away from his body 
and high points the football at the highest point above bigger defenders. It's incredible. So I think Josh Downs for me and uh, Jonathan Mingo are the two. They're the two that I'm really keeping an eye on before going into the combine. And I think that's as far as we have got to the Super Chat. So thank you to everybody for sending those in. It is really appreciated. All of your support for the channel is massively appreciated. A quick shout out. Please check out the channel. I've got a couple of interviews. I've actually got three player interviews on there. Addy Addy's on there. Um, Julius Brents, who I really loved interviewing Julius Brents. And if you don't know him, the Kansas State cornerback, uh, he's a Seahawks-style cornerback. Please go and check that out because it was a really good interview. That was really engaging, really likable guy. Uh, Juice Scruggs, another really cool guy, really engaging. Could be a center option for the Seahawks later on in the draft. Check those interviews out. Please subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you check out Seahawks Insider Adam Nathan's podcast with Nick Ballore this week. <laughs> really looking forward to, to listening to that. That should be out on Saturday on all of your uh, normal means and methods. And you want to listen to it as well because you never know what Adam's going to break next. You know, what's it possibly <laughs> be? You better check that out. So, uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Robbie, always a pleasure to speak. And, uh, and very much looking forward to, uh, however the Combine coverage plays out, very much looking forward to, uh, to seeing that. Because Robbie is on the doorstep, of course, the Combine. Over I'll be the there. Speaking of on the doorstep, though, there's much more important news that I will be in Rob's manor on Wednesday oh, yes. to see Spurs play Sheffield United. Now, I'm expecting Rob to show me all the bright lights, let me tell you. I'm expecting the red carpet to be rolled out as uh, Adam Nathan, Chef Rapport rolls into town, so you know there's big well, things you know, expected. I, Rob, I've let the council know that you're coming, so thank goodness. They can, uh, they can give you a police escort off the off the M1. Uh, if you, unless you're coming on the train, then we'll have to sort something else out. But, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But uh, they're, they're very much looking forward to you coming up, and uh, and we will be able to catch up there as well. I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. I know that half of you haven't. Um, so please subscribe to the channel, uh, like the video, and if you would be so minded to leave a comment afterwards for the algorithm, uh, that will really help us out as well. Thank you to everybody watching this. Great numbers again. Uh, massive combine week coming up next week. The ultimate combine preview is coming. I booked the whole week off work. That is coming out next week. Loads of vids, loads of articles. My keyboard will probably need three keys replacing again afterwards because I'll have typed about a bajillion words. Um, so silksdraftblog.com for the combine. The best place for the combine coverage, if I say so myself. Uh, so tune in for that next week. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.